State of the Industry podcast. This episode is brought to you by the KP Movement Institute, offering online and in-person coaching services for those seeking pain-free movement, peak athletic performance, or to improve their overall health. Whether you've been training for years or are just starting out, the coaches at the KP Movement Institute will create a personalized training solution that fits your specific needs. Not only will you optimize your movement and function, but you'll be educated, empowered, and inspired towards a healthier and more active lifestyle. Contact info at kineticperformance.ca to set up your complimentary consultation today. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Youngsma. This week's episode is part two of my conversation with the super coach herself, Nicole Rodriguez, and we continue our conversation talking about principles for youth athletic development. Now, those of you who don't know Nicole, Nicole has coaching in her DNA and it shows every single time you're either in her presence, watching her coach or listening to her speak. And she is absolutely amazing at not only seeing movement in a different way, but also thinking about it in a different way, specifically from the developmental process. And so she's been at companies such as Exos and Boyle Strength and Conditioning and she has chosen to go into youth development and she's in Poland right now working with some academy teams there and she takes all of her knowledge and her skill set and applies it directly to youth athletics with a specific goal of not only creating resources for players but also parents and coaches helping them not just become better athletes but better people once they're done whether they don't make it to their end, you know, professional or Olympic athletic endeavors, or if maybe they uh, get there, but then what happens after? So how do they adjust after they're done and not just put uh, basically all of their uh, work, all of their time and all of their identity into sport and athletics. And so she really helps out with doing that and just really looking at the developmental process for athletes uh, in a very unique way. And she's got some fantastic principles that we begin in part number one. So if you haven't listened yet, I'd suggest you go back, but we continue them here. So without any further ado, let's dive right in. All right, welcome back. Nicole Rodriguez to the State of the Industry podcast. We're into part number two. Part number one, we talked all about athlete development and you finished off by taking control of the podcast and telling me what we're going to do in the second half. So we'll just, uh, we'll dive into all things movement and talk about that, uh, that extra principle about really helping young athletes. And this is, I think what we, when we're looking at athlete development, what a lot of people who are in sport always look at, right? We're always thinking just about the movement side, which is why I think I, I like the fact that we talked about no movement at the beginning, right? Like we talked about coping skills. We talked about um, communication and, and being transparent with athletes, uh, coaches, the rest of the team and developing that. So let's get into talking a little bit about movement and 
when you're looking at, and, and maybe we, we don't necessarily confine this to any one uh, sport necessarily or any one developmental age, but what are the key kind of movement principles that we're looking at addressing in, in young athletes, right? When we're looking at helping them move better, more efficiently, be more resilient, what are we looking at developing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, key aspects would be number one, number one goal is to try and work towards developing better neuromuscular control. Um, and, and that can mean that can mean a lot of different things, right? That could mean uh, trunk position and landing, obviously limb position. That, that means a lot of different things, right? Stretch shortening cycle. Um, but overall, like globally, that's the number one goal. Mm -hmm. And that can be achieved many different ways, especially right when you're looking at age groups. Um, if we're looking at, let's just say, put simply a, a, a child, a young athlete who has not gone through their uh, growth and maturation phases, right? So for females, right, under the age of 11, for males, usually under the age of 12, you know, one of the key things that we're trying to work on with the young athlete regarding um, trying to make them better movers is, you know, giving them opportunities to challenge and use their vestibular system, mm -hmm. right? So with a professional athlete, right, we're doing a lot of uh, rotational plyometrics, you know, we're doing um, a lot of movements that have, right, quick changes of direction, right? That's all going to be trying to target the physical aspects. But when we add in these movements with kids, um, this rotational component, now we're looking at, okay, how are we using this to challenge the, the vestibular system yeah. simply in a team environment with 20 kids at once? Um, so for example, um, when we're trying to do that from a programming perspective, I'm trying to program a lot of movements that basically happen in a circle. So if we're having them basically pogo to drop, right, working on landing mechanics, getting them uh, moving before they go into the pitch, right, so let's just say a U10 or 11 team, right, they'll have to do kind of a Simon Says scenario where they're doing a pogo, right, so bouncing on two feet with, with straight legs, um, but they're doing it in a circle, and then having to drop down on two or one legs or whatever, whatever the demand is, mm -hmm. um, but giving them opportunities to move um, in, uh, you know, in a circle, so to speak, or figure eights would be another way to help just train and challenge the vestibular system. So yeah. for example, I'm not just starting off with young, younger athletes, with just, you know, straight linear running or straight linear speed, right? We're starting to, you know, put in figure eight patterns, circle runs, so to speak, because again, that's just kind of allowing them to have opportunities to develop, you know, different reflexes, such as the right knee reflex when running in a, in an angular position. Yeah. Um, and so those are things that we can do with older athletes. But for me, um, I'm always trying to, you know, get them rolling, um, get them moving in a circle, moving in different figure eight positions, because, you know, it's good for them to feel those different reflexes and, and try to challenge the vestibular system without, you know, doing, you know, very specific eye movements and head drills, right, when you're working with a group of 20 kids. Yeah, 
I know when I was young, I just rolled down a hill to get some vestibular system activation. I didn't do any training. Like, honestly, when I was in youth athletics and I played pretty high level soccer, like I played at university, we didn't have, there's no strength and conditioning. Like this is also Canada. So we don't have the money for that. Uh, but yeah, there was very, very little strength and conditioning leading up to it. Uh, the first time I actually went to a gym was in high school and started lifting weights. Cause that's what I thought that you did in the gym is just lift heavy, heavy things. And that that's it. That's all. I, that's all I knew how to, I hadn't been trained in anything before. And, um, yeah, then going back and seeing a nine-year-old come into a gym and thinking about all the things that that nine-year-old now has to learn from a physical literacy standpoint, learning how to move properly, because, uh, and I always like the, I always like the, and this, I wasn't the one who came up with this, but I always like to think of movement. It's a language, right? Like movement is a language and you have to learn it and you have to practice it and you have to learn how to speak it well in order to be really good. Like if you want to, perform really well, you have to be really good at speaking movement. And if you're not, you're going to get injured or you're not going to perform near as well as somebody who moves better. And uh, yeah, vestibular system. I, so when you're looking at, cause I'm just trying to kind of paint a, a mental picture in my brain. So you're adding kind of the up and down movement with the pogos, but then also having kind of the rotation, like the change in the orientation. How big mm -hmm. or small is this circle? Are we talking each individual athlete has their own circle that they're hopping in? Or is this all the athletes? Like, because thinking about warmups when I was at uh, in, in soccer, we all got into this little circle and we did all our stretching in the circle. Mm -hmm. Is it all the athletes together, small group? Is it individual? How, how do you typically do that? Yeah, yeah, it's um, all the athletes together and, you know, depending on what we have planned for the day, that could be with their, their ball in their hand, um, right, doing any of the, the pogoing circles to drop before they drop and then run with the ball, you know, we, we be as creative as, as, as we can, yeah. um, but usually, you know, it could be organized, so basically there's three main orientations that I'll use. Uh, one is the circle orientation where they're lined up in a big circle of 20. Yeah. Um, so that would be a, a semi-structured, obviously structured organization. Um, or the, the other end of the continuum is I'll have a, a 20 meter grid, right? Where that's the grid that they're running, jumping, playing, moving with the ball. And then I'll, you know, have them stop and do a couple of pogos rotations to drop, right, yeah. as, as part of the warm-up. So then it could be very unstructured in that space, and they're just kind of moving in their own world, so to speak. Um, and then the second orientation, as I, I spoke about many times, is the split orientation, where mm. if I have 20 athletes, I have 10 on one line, 10, you know, 10, 15 meters away on the other line and they're switching uh, um, sides basically. And then yeah. the other orientation is the vertical orientation where they're basically in now two lines of 10, right? In one vertical line, going through the ladders, going through whatever movements or, or drills that I have them do. So, um, so we can be unstructured with the organization or typically I use one of those three organizations. Okay. Nice. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at, uh, cause I, and, and we had this kind of conversation off, off screen for a second or off recording for a second. And I mentioned in the topic guide talking about the, uh, like assessing critical positions. 
And so when you're looking at an athlete, and this can be young athlete, older athlete, there and in each sport we have we have different positions that we get into that are maybe not the same as in like baseball is a big one. I remember when I was watching a presentation of yours, you talked about being able to get into that internally rotated position with the leg as you drop down to grab a ball and then being able to stand up and then, and throw that ball. So that's, that's a critical position for somebody who's a third baseman, second baseman, uh, shortstop to get into, right. That, that's a critical position. So when you're looking at sport, how do you, not just pick out those critical positions, but how do you train them? Because that's most people would see that if they ever saw somebody going down into a squat, maybe not with a huge amount of weight, but going down into a squat and then going into internal rotation in the hip and then driving that leg back out and then coming up, like people would see that and be like, whoa, 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 what do you know? That's bad for your hip. You should not internally rotate like that under load. Mm -hmm. like, so how do you not only pick these out, but then train them? Yeah, well, I try really hard to simplify um, my critical positions because it's extensive, right? You, yeah. you have critical positions for acceleration, you have critical positions for change of direction, critical positions for, you know, max velocity or, or longer distance sprinting, you mm -hmm. have critical positions in squatting, you have critical positions in everything. And so when I build, you know, my movement checklist, when I build my movement library, so to speak, in terms of what am I going to be working on for this phase, uh, so we can teach the athletes, you know, what to do. Um, I really keep it simple. And I can take these movement skills that we mentioned, acceleration, um, max velocity, sprinting, change of direction, um, and I just put them into three simple categories and it's triple flexion, triple extension and rotation. Hmm. For me, I try to make it that simple. Yeah. And when I'm thinking about concepts such as internal rotation, external rotation of the hips specifically, right? That's usually going to happen with rotational aspects. Yeah. Um, when I'm, when I'm looking at acceleration and, and we're looking at having hip extension and hip flexion right we, we can start to categorize our movement skills into one of those three categories if we're trying to look at things simply yeah because again um i'm i'm working with 20 athletes at once yeah um i only have them for a certain amount of time and so i'm not saying that you know oh we can only be general no i'm not saying that but when it comes to my observation with what i'm going to program next or what i need to highlight in the next session or what i need to change in this session to get what i want um, from a movement perspective then the easiest way that i found um, to assess my athlete real time without force plates <laughs> without you know biomechanical markers or anything like that um, yeah. which i have you know some of those tools but you know it's hard to use that in a team setting when you only have 20 30 minutes with them yeah um so for me when i'm assessing critical positions i'm trying my best to simplify uh, and assess those three movements, right? Triple flexion, triple extension, um, and rotation. And so when I'm looking at, for example, um, 
you know, absolute speed or max velocity type running. So running as fast as you can, you know, more than 20 meters, essentially mm-hmm. what you want to see. So the critical position in um, max velocity running is being able to obtain that, you know, infamous figure four position yeah. where you're upright, your stance leg is down and your leg that's cycling through or recovering is coming into that four shaped, right? That's essentially yeah. the critical position for max velocity or absolute speed. Well, then we can start to use different tools, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's on the pitch to start teaching that either extension, which is the stance leg, mm-hmm. right? Or the flexion, which is the recovering leg. And we can start to build tools around that based off of whatever movement skill we're working on. So that's one example. If we're looking at you know pushing sleds or pulling sleds, or for my young athletes, you know, 11, 12, 13 year olds, they're instead of pushing a sled, um, because a we don't have sleds, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they have like a dowel rod, or actually more specifically, they have the poles that they use on the on the football field. Uh, okay. And basically, they have this immovable object. Yeah. Um, and basically, they're towing each other as their form of sled work. Okay, so if I'm towing another athlete with the with the stick, so to speak, or something like a dowel rod, then I can and I'm doing more um, acceleration type positions, so to speak, within from a triple flexion extension standpoint, then I know that that sled walk is going to allow me to focus on that backside mechanics or the front side mechanics based off of whether I want to work on extension or flexion. Yeah. Um, So from a movement perspective, I try to keep it that simple, working in those three categories across um, the major movements that we're going to be experiencing on the field, which is some sort of acceleration, some sort of absolute speed, and some sort of change of direction, including landing and stopping and braking. Yeah, I love Mm -hmm. it. The simplicity Mm -hmm. of that is awesome. So... Let's dive into um, a little bit about plyometrics because I know you mentioned it a little bit uh, at the beginning when we were talking about kind of prepping the system, the vestibular system specifically. And so first, what's the importance? Like, I think we understand the importance of plyometrics for athletics, but do you see there is uh, that there is a uh, an important, like, application of plyometrics for the general population as well like do you think the general population should be doing plyometrics and if so why Mm -hmm. um well i yes i 100 percent believe that the general population um should be doing some form of plyometrics in that form is a really big continuum, right? Yeah. That could be um, walking or jogging for someone. That could be someone doing some in-place, um, you know, rapid response movements. That could be someone actually learning how to uh, jump, bound, or hop. And so that continuum is really large. And whenever I get asked this question, I always you know, go back to an example um, that Nick Winkleman taught me many years ago when we were looking at fall prevention research. And, um, you know, and 
I, I just remember, I say his name because I remember the first time that I heard the research for him from him and then I went to go get the research, right? And it's basically fall prevention research for elderly people and comparing ground contact time. Mm-hmm. So we know that Usain Bolt, you know, has ground contact time of 80 to 90 milliseconds. And when we look at fall prevention, and I always like to imagine, imagine when you're showering and, you know, happens once every couple of years, but you kind of have this slip in the shower. You don't fall, but you catch yourself. Yeah. Right. That's exactly why as adults, and I'm 38 years old, so I have to continue to train my plyometric abilities as well. But that's exactly why as adults, we need to be inserting some sort of plyometric, right? So we can catch ourselves when we slip on the ice, when we slip in the shower, um, because fall prevention research will show that the ground contact time to put your foot down before you slip on the ice or slip in the shower, right, is extremely short right? Yeah. Not Usain Bolt short, right? But but it's extremely short. So I do believe that we need to have a, a large focus on it. And it comes in many different forms. And the most, the easiest one is just, hey, you know, run down the, the turf if you're working at a facility, right? 10, 15 meters and just start to learn how to run forward, run backwards, right? That can be an easy form of plyometrics before you actually start transitioning into the more formal types of tra- uh, plyometrics. So um, yes, I do, to answer your question, adults, myself included, we need to keep plyometric training um, so we can uh, yeah, prevent those falls and uh, the infamous cycles that old people experience, right? Yeah. You, you slip, you fall, you break your hip and you die. Like it yeah. drives me crazy because I think it is preventable. So yes. Yeah, for sure. And um, just, you know, so you were mentioning once every couple of years that slip, that's probably me every month or so. Uh, my, my shower, I, I guess my shower is really slippery or I shower way too often, but yeah, probably at least once a month for me. So um, everyone knows that feeling. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even, even like living in Canada, not the same in Texas or Arizona, but living in Canada, there's always like, there's almost always ice on the ground at, you know, with between the months of November and about now, right? April, March, April, May. Um, there's almost always ice on the ground somewhere and you don't always see it. And so you have to have the capacity to not only react quickly, the coordination to put your foot down, but the power to be able to you know, produce that strength to, to hold yourself back up, to regain that balance that you've lost. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's, uh, there's this constant argument about, you know, these are the prerequisites for plyometrics. But as you said, plyo- like plyometrics is life. Like you, you do plyometrics every single day if you go for, a, you jog somewhere, right? You quickly do that. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you quickly reach down to, you know, uh, quickly reach down to grab something that's falling, right? You quickly drop and have to push yourself. Like these are plyometrics. And I think we often think too much about the, the structured plyometrics of being, you know, you can't do depth drops until you can do this, like until you can body, like until you can squat one and a half times your weight, you shouldn't be doing plyometrics. And like, we'll tell that to anybody who ever jogs, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're probably, you know, 
because also strength is specific, right? So my stre strength in my squad is specific to my squad. Is it going to increase my strength in other lower body movements? For sure, but not to the same level that it increases because of the the neural system and the the programming of that squat, right? Like your body learns mm -hmm. that pattern and it gets better at it the more you do it and the heavier you lift, the stronger that pattern gets. And so I just think there's a, there's a, a it, plyometrics is very complex, but we have to understand that we can grade it to whatever individual is in front of us from a young athlete to a, you know, 60 year old who hasn't been in the gym in their life, right? We can grade those for those populations. And, and I would, you know, encourage the listeners to think about it in, in these categories. Um, because again, there's another, there's a continuum with plyometrics, there's mm -hmm. a continuum with speed, there's a continuum with strength. And this is some of the work that I did adopt um, from my time at Athletes Performance in Exos, um, is this concept you know, and I think it's well known now, this concept of position, pattern, and power. Mm -hmm. And if we think of the topic of plyometrics, and you're thinking of, okay, like, what's the starting point, you know, and I always ask myself that question, okay, like, my job is to identify the starting point with inserting plyometrics, speed, strength into my program. And really, the starting point can be as simple as teaching the position, yeah. right? Do you know where the, the start and the end point is in this movement? And right now we're talking about plyometrics, but we can do that with teaching someone how to Olympic lift. Yeah. First, you learn the start point and the finish point, and then that's called learning the position. So with plyometrics, we can learn how to land. We can learn how to be in triple flexion, or what you know normally is what you teach first. So the dropping mm -hmm. portion. Then with the pattern, then you start to introduce the coordination aspect to it. Okay, now that you learn the position of plyometrics on where to stop or where to land, now we can start to connect A, B, C, right? Where you're looking at more of a counter movement type move, uh, move um, or plyometric. And then that would be us focusing more on the pattern. Doesn't have to be extremely fast, but it's more coordinative and rhythmic, yeah. right? Because yeah. people lose that. People lose teaching anyone adult or kids how to be rhythmic right everything mm -hmm. is go 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 high intensity you know high no like rhythm plays a big role so that would be pattern so yeah. pattern plyometrics you know i have my top 10 drills that i use for patterning and then you have your power plyometric drills right where you're trying to you know increase contraction time rate of force development height landing forces, drop jumping, all that. So mm -hmm. the way that I program in my Excel files, right, is I have, okay, plyometrics, my position focused, that could be titled landing mechanics, that can be exercises that are focusing on my drop landings in various positions. And then I have, you know, 10 to 20 options there. Then I have plyometrics pattern. Okay, I wanna be working on rhythm coordination. Then I write down all of the drills that I do for that. And then same thing for pattern, or excuse me, for power. And so I think if we can create these checklists or create these categories, then this 
endless, right? You, you, you know, this filter is created, yeah. so it doesn't seem as confusing and it doesn't, you know, and we're not giving the athlete or, you know, the client or athlete a disservice by programming improper plyometrics. So with kids, it's a little bit easier, right? Because they're dynamic and they can do a lot of different fun movements. Yeah. Um, but with older populations, right, you might want to consider, you know, taking the approach of position pattern and power when it comes to programming your plyometrics. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that sequence. Um, I know, like I've followed athletes performance in exos for a, a long long time i actually went down back in i think it was 2015 or 2016 i went down and i just kind of toured the facility a little bit and i did a session down there and like i loved it down in arizona my first time ever down in arizona um and since and i actually told mark first in this i'm like i i bought your core book like i have <laughs> the book that you wrote yeah. um now he looked a lot older don't tell well he's he's not gonna listen to this so he looked a lot older when I met him than he did in the book. And I'm like, I wish I would have brought the book and got you to sign, but he is like, um, yeah, super nice guy. But yeah, like, um, it, I've, I've followed that, that whole sequence that you just talked about, right? Like the position pattern and empower. And I think that's a great way to break down, honestly, like any exercise, you just may not have power at the end. You might have strength or you might have, you know, endurance or whatever it is because that's the key is like, you have to learn the positions that you have to be in. So can you get into the bottom of a squat? Can you, you know, uh, get into the bottom part of a lunge? Or do you know the start and end position of your pulls, your pushes? Do you know all those? Then now can we pattern these and using lower loads so you can learn the movement? Maybe, you know, I often use like them creating some internal tension without even create like using any load just to learn how to create tension throughout that range. And then we mm -hmm. start adding loads external loads after that and you build that up as well and then you know then you add in the strength portion or the power portion as you were saying right because you can you can have power with your upper body you can have power with your lower body you can have power in different positions uh using different types and amounts of external loading and like the sky's the limit as you said like if once you understand the basics of it and then how to progress it and how to grade it for the person who's in front of you for the situation that they're going to be in or the outcome that you're looking for. Like it's, it's pretty easy, right? It's pretty, mm -hmm. actually, it's actually quite simple to do. And for your listeners who are more in strength and power sports, right? Ice hockey and, and so forth and so on, right? Like we can use this example for bench pressing. Mm -hmm. And I learned this from fantastic coach. His name is Dennis Logan. Um, now is back in the US. But when we were working with NFL combine athletes, teaching them how to bench press, um, the first thing or the, the main priority is teaching this athlete who is going to get on a world stage for millions and millions of dollars and see how well they can bench press the first step with that athlete is teaching them bar path, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Which is pattern. And so how you teach someone how to bench press properly, right? Is teaching them, right? Different bar paths and positions. So the first step, and, and this is just to highlight the position pattern pot, uh, power model, right? The first step is teaching them what position the bar should end in. Yep. And so they're basically doing, um, you know, uh, an eccentric drop, hold, and then they, they come up, then they go eccentric drop, hold, 
and then concentric, and then they start to link it together for singles and doubles and triples. So yeah. again, that that model can be, to your point, used across many different movements. Um, it's just the system that I learned um, from my time at, at Athletes Performance in Exos that allowed me to become a better programmer and allowed me to be able to teach right? My athletes and teach other coaches why I was doing that and why, you know, because Mike, Mike Boyle, when I worked for him, it was always like we had our, our program tucked in our, our shirt, right? No yeah. iPads back in the day, but we had our, our program tucked in our sh shorts and it was always this like pulled the program out. It's like, oh, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And so like on the fly, you had to say, okay, well, I'm doing this because we did this, this and that beforehand. And so it was always, you know, defending your program. So you had yeah. a why. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I wish we had more time to go into that because I love one of the, my favorite things when I'm teaching a new trainer how to program is like, you have to be able to just like explain every single thing that you have written on that program, explaining why you have it, because there should be a purpose behind everything. There's no garbage. There's no, well, I haven't hit this muscle yet today. Like that's not a, that's not a reason for anything. And I should also, I, I always like to use the thing like your client comes in and they've got like this box of puzzle pieces and as you ask questions and do assessments they give you puzzle pieces then you have to create the puzzle then you have to create a mirror like a mirror the program is a mirror that reflects the client and i should be able to look at your program and tell you a lot about your client without ever meeting them right mm -hmm. i should be able to look at you know, okay, I'm going to assume they're a beginner, you know, intermediate, advanced, you know, athlete that maybe they play this sport. They need to work on this. Maybe they're looking for weight. Like I should be able to look and just tell you some things. Oh, they've got maybe an injury or a deficiency in this area just by looking at your program. And mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest thing for new trainers, new strength and conditioning coaches is to design a program with every single aspect reflecting the client that they have and having a, as you said, a purpose behind it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have a few questions that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast. I know we only got uh, like four minutes, so I'll go really quickly through them. And uh, just the first thing that comes to your head, just whatever you want. So first question okay. is what are the top three books that you've read on any topic? Mm -hmm. Oof. Well, I have to mention the book, and maybe you might know this author being Canadian, that I'm currently reading. And the reason that I can't finish it is because I keep rereading the chapters. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't know if you've ever read one of those types of books, but oh yeah. my god, blowing my mind. It's actually uh, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. Yep. Uh, it's my first book by him. Um, I've listened to some of his uh youtube videos and podcasts and things like that but oh my god what a thinker yeah what a thinker and you know he's yeah so regardless of what you think about him as a person like he, that book is really incredible yeah um and you know one book that you know I, I can say the truth and one book that i read once a year is you know the infamous how to win friends and influence people but there's a lot of history behind that um but from a SNC standpoint, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Eric Franklin, yeah. um, but he uh, he wrote a book called uh, Dynamic Alignment Through Imagery, and I am fascinated with that book. 
um, to the point where I actually read it for entertainment sometimes. <laughs> um, I know that sounds a little dorky, but yeah, I, I think that that's a fantastic book to start truly imagining how the body moves in for me that is a huge or an important book for me regarding cueing um and then you know one that is kind of a bible for me if you can say that is uh this book called principles by ray dalio uh for me i'm just one of those where my work is my life and my life is my work and whether that's right or wrong. And I'm, I'm still exploring all of that. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, being able to listen to his experience regarding work and regarding life is, is, is powerful for me. So yeah, uh, yeah those are, those are some, some winners in, in my, my, my phase of life right now, I guess you can say. Awesome. Books yeah. added to my, yeah. my massive book list. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Top three mentors through your journey so far. Uh, you know, for, first one is you know, of course, going to be Mike Boyle because um, he's still very active and um, very supportive with my new ideas and my you know once every three year visits. Uh, so he he's he's an incredible human being, uh, incredible coach, and I think he's really trying to serve um, a lot of different types of people. And I like that. I, yeah. I like that he has a very large reach. Um, you know, Darcy Norman is, a, is another person that I have a huge amount of respect for. Um, he's much better than me uh, regarding being responsive and answering questions. And he, he makes it a really, he's always, he's always made it a priority since I met him in 2005 or six uh, to respond. And, mm-hmm. and I never even met him before. And he was very responsive to me and trying to help at the time when I was working with, with cycling actually. Yeah. Um, so he's huge and, and I still have contact with him to the day and he's very busy, uh, but he is a huge resource for not only myself, but many other people. Um, and then the last person, I, I would say the the various uh, mindset coaches that I've had uh, in in my life, and mm-hmm. there's there's a couple of them that I won't mention by name, but uh, but you know there's um, a handful. There's there's two specific mindset coaches uh, that have really challenged my thinking and encouraged me to to keep uh, finding out what my meaning is and and kind of my life goals. So for me, um, you know, I'm still fairly young and. I, I just think that we need resources and mentors that will help us with our, um, yeah, with our self-discovery. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 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 All right. Last question. Uh, what piece of advice or wisdom would Nicole of today give to 20 year old Nicole? I, I believe that clarity comes from engagement. Uh, and I used to say clarity comes from engagement, not thought, you know, meaning basically meaning, Hey, take action, like take action. So you can figure out what, what you want. Um, but for me, action is the key. And with action, obviously you can make decisions and be decisive, or you can just react, you know, respond. And either way you're, you're going to fail at, at many things that you try and do, but, I just want to 
and wouldn't want to encourage myself just to take as much action and just remember that, you know, clarity comes from engagement. So engage with the world, um, you know, and engage with yourself and and just take action. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. So where can our audience go to find out more about you um, and kind of what you do in any products or anything else that you have? I know you presented a lot of conferences, you run educational courses. I know right now it's difficult to run them because obviously there's a <laughs> pandemic going on, uh, but where can people follow you? Um, I would say my most active platform is probably Instagram for for no specific reason um and just to be completely honest I'm I'm not very active on social media so you know the good old phone is is the best way so if anyone wants to uh have a chat um you know I'm I I keep it simple with email and phone so my email address um is ask a s k at coachnicolerodriguez.com. And I did that on purpose, right? Made it really long spelling out my entire name. So <laughs> it takes a little bit of effort on other people's end to, to send me an email. Yeah. Um, but you know, probably email is best. Uh, Instagram would be secondary. Uh, and then from there we can, yeah, you know, I usually just like to answer a question by jumping on a 30 minute phone call and just chatting with people because I'm, yeah. I'm not the best at at always responding in length. So I'm just, you know, wanting to pick up the phone call because it's a little bit more efficient for me. So that's fair. So, yeah. I like, yeah. especially if you have to type an email on your phone, tapping yeah. all the buttons with your thumb, my thumbs don't move as fast as all my fingers can on a keyboard or as my mouth can when I'm talking. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming yeah. on. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time out of your, your busy schedule. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, maybe we can do this again. Oh, we we absolutely will because there are several questions that we or topics that we <laughs> didn't get to that we'll have to future. Good. Well, thank you for having me, Adam, and it was a pleasure uh, spending my evening with you. Thanks, Nicole. State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be back.